0: Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning in this place, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those verses that I just read to you are verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah chapter 49, part of the section of Isaiah that I want us to look at. This morning, this Advent, we've been doing a sort of little mini-sermon series on Isaiah, kind of an informal tour of the book. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first two chapters of Isaiah's prophecy with people, because of Jesus, fundamentally changing direction. If you recall, they go from running away from God to streaming up his mountain, seeking to be taught by him. And then last week, we looked at the homecoming vision of Isaiah chapter 35. The ransomed people of God, the sinners that he has redeemed in Christ, are welcomed home. And along the way, we sort of surveyed some of the Advent imagery from the whole book. Nature restored, humanity redeemed, everything made new. And now we find ourselves... At the end of Advent, the last Sunday, all four candles are lit. The next time we are together after today will be on the dark evening into which that bright star shone, announcing Jesus' arrival into the world. But we're not there yet. So for now, despite the massive spoiler to which the kids just treated us, showing us exactly what's coming. For now, liturgically speaking, we are still waiting. So we're going to stay in Isaiah. Isaiah remains appropriate for us as we wait. I was drawn specifically this week to these verses in Isaiah 49 because of the familiarity of the image. If you... Look at it, Isaiah 49, and you begin in verse 10. You get a picture that will be very familiar to you, even if you haven't read Isaiah, because you'll know the image best from John's vision of the thronging multitude worshiping the Lord in his throne room from Revelation 7, an image with which many of us are very familiar. Isaiah says, They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. Isaiah is talking, as he has been throughout our readings these last several weeks, about a redeemed creation. A place where there won't be pain, or strife, or war. A time where swords will be beaten into plowshares. Lions and lambs will be living together. Everything will be wonderful and at peace because Messiah has come. No hunger, no thirst, no scorching wind or sun, springs of fresh water. And John picks up this image in Revelation when he describes the eternal heavenly congregation saying, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. explicit connection between what Isaiah is predicting in chapter 49 and what John is witnessing in chapter 7 of Revelation. But you people like me who care about grammar will have noticed that I started that revelation reading with the word therefore. In other words, the beautiful vision that John is witness to is happening because of something. Therefore, there is no hunger. Therefore, there is no thirst. Therefore, no scorching heat. Something has happened, and we need to know what that something is. So the procedure here is very simple. You simply go back to before the therefore and find out what happened. Here's Revelation 7, verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, that's John speaking, saying, who are these, this congregation, clothed in white robes. And from where have they come? John says to him, Sir, you know. And then he gets the response, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, things are redeemed. Therefore, everything Is as it should be. There is no hunger or thirst for these people because they have been rescued, brought home. They have come out of what John calls the great tribulation. They have been set free, having their sins, which stained them like scarlet, washed white as snow in the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. And Isaiah sees this coming too. He said, if you'll recall from two weeks ago, all the way back in chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red, like crimson, they shall become like wool. So John in this revelation of the redeemed people of God rejoicing in the Lord's presence, is seeing and hearing prophecies from throughout the book of Isaiah coming to fruition. There is no hunger or thirst anymore, just like Isaiah promised in chapter 49. It's all possible because Jesus, the Messiah, has come, washing the crimson stains of sin white, with his blood, just like Isaiah promised in chapter 1. This is, as the kids sang, good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's going to be like five days before that's not in my head anymore. <laughs> joy that will be for all people. Everything is wonderful for everyone, right? Well, almost everyone. Someone is not singing. It's like the birthday party where everyone is having a good time except that one kid sitting in the corner. You've seen that kid. Some of you were that kid. There's always the one kid who seems to be missing out on the party. And here it's Zion. Isaiah says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. But someone's not singing. You look around and there's Zion over there in the corner, not really participating in the celebration. This is Isaiah 49, verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Zion is saying this description, this party this singing, this joy, this exaltation, this doesn't feel like my life. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm scorched. There are still tears in my eyes. I'm not joyful. And as we've seen week by week, Isaiah is talking about actual Zion, right? actual Israel in exile in Babylon. And they do feel abandoned by their God. But Isaiah is also prophesying more broadly. Zion here is sharing the human experience, your experience. The prophecy of a world without hunger, thirst, and pain is a wonderful thing. But it's easy to read Isaiah's promise and John's experience and think, that doesn't sound exactly like my life. I look forward to a day without suffering. But for me, that day is not today. Is there any good news that can be proclaimed into what I'm going through right now? And Christmas, Christmas can be especially good at throwing these feelings into sharp relief, making the pain all the sharper. The songs, the mistletoe, the relentless cheer, the jingling bells, the Grandma's getting run over by reindeer. (laughs) It can feel so foreign to someone who is actually suffering. All the happiness is just hiding the pain and sorrow of regular human life for a few weeks. A pain and sorrow that's going to come crashing right back in when school and work start back up in a couple weeks. Your boss is still going to be your boss. Your fears will still be your fears. Your loved one will still be gone. You still won't be the person that you promised yourself you would be. Maybe God is doing great things for all of these other people. But in Zion's words, what about me? What does God have for me? Feels like my Lord has forgotten me. Is there good news for me? This is the lament of a sinner living in a sinful world. And there is. Perhaps you expected it coming to church on a Sunday morning. There is good news. God has an answer. For us, the suffering sinners, in the very next verses, he doesn't even make you wait a sentence. So Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16, But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. That is our lament. We are suffering, and we feel forgotten. But God responds immediately. Can a woman forget her nursing child? He asks that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is an incredible thing. God, by his word, will not forget you. And why? Because he has engraved you on the palms of his hands. Here we have two images placed together like twins, two sides of the same coin. We actually have Christmas and Easter here. Christmas, a baby nursing at his mother's breast, and Easter, scarred palms, That prove the love of God and in between life suffering in between God himself on a cross a parent forgetting for a moment a beloved child so that he can remember you let me tell you what I mean it seems almost impossible that a mother might forget her child right There is no closer relationship than this. And yet God here says it is possible. And God knows because God himself will do it. On Good Friday, outside the city walls at a place called the Skull, God will forget for a moment his only and beloved Son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus will cry. The exact cry of Zion. He knows your suffering because he suffered for you. He cries a lament just like Zion's lament. You have forgotten me, God. But unlike Zion, who is not actually forgotten, who is not actually forsaken, God does forsake Jesus for a moment. In that moment, there is no compassion for Jesus, no remembrance. The sin of the world comes crashing down upon his shoulders, and God, his Father, turned away. In that moment, Jesus's goodness, the perfection of the life that began on Christmas morning at his mother's breast, that perfection, that life is given to you. You see, this is the center of the good news here. God had made this promise to Zion, sinful Zion, and to you, a sinner, just the same. He had promised never to forget them. And he has promised never to forget you. And so for a moment, in order to keep his promise to you, he forgot his son. But of course, the forgetting was not the end of the story. Three days later, the fatal wounds were overcome. God turned back to his son and made him victorious even over the grave. But even in his resurrected life, Jesus bore those wounds. Nail scars on his hands. A spear mark in his side. His accomplishments for you forever ingrained on his flesh. His love for you engraved on the palms of his hands. Just like that promise to Isaiah all those years ago, I will never forget you. You are engraved on the palms of my hands. Isaiah knew the details too. He shared them in chapter 53. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought you peace. With his wounds, you are healed. This is the joy that will be for all people, as our children sang. God will never forget you, ever. There is an eternal home prepared for you. Isaiah foresaw it, and John was given to actually witness it. You, in the presence of Almighty God, secured by the accomplishment of Christ at home, forever. The good news today is the promise of forever and the scars on Jesus' flesh. You, And Jesus' saving work for you are engraved on the palms of his hands. Amen.